that they had a conviction that what our country stands for, that every person is created equally before God, and that every person has certain rights, the right to life, and the right to freedom, to liberty, the right to the pursuit of happiness. They had such a conviction about that belief in what our country stands for that they were willing to die for it. They were willing to give their lives to defend what this country stands for. I think conviction should be a very, very important part of our lives. See, a conviction is far, far more than an opinion that one has. It's something that you believe in so strongly that you're immovable from that place. It's something you'd be willing to fight for. It's something that you'd be willing to die for. We have a very short list of convictions. There's some things that we would be willing to die for. Those are our convictions. We're immovable. They don't change. We're steadfast in those convictions. We have convictions about our country. We have convictions about our family. I wonder this morning if on your short list of convictions is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus on your list of convictions? Is your relationship with him on your list of convictions? The, the reality is, and folks, we need to understand this, we forget. The reality is, is there are many on this very day who will die because they will not renounce their conviction that Jesus Christ is their Savior and their Lord. What is your conviction about Jesus? Don't know if you've considered that. I don't know if you ask yourself that. We, we could put it in these terms. In regard to Jesus, are, are you hot? Are you cold? Are you somewhere in the middle, kind of lukewarm? Do you ever think about that? The Scripture tells us that Jesus thought about that. Jesus wrote a letter to the city of Laodicea. It's found in the third chapter of Revelations. I want us to look at that letter briefly this morning. I will tell you that this really is, I, I'm praying, will set us up for what I think God wants us to study in the month of June. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Jesus is taking a look at this city of Laodicea. I want to tell you a little bit about Laodicea first. Laodicea was a new city in Asia Minor. Fresh, clean. Had a strong economy, low unemployment. They paid relatively low taxes. 
They had great schools. They had great homes. Lots of industry there. There was a medical industry there. They, they were really known for their, their work in optometry and the work with the eyes. There, there was a clothing industry there. Fine wool there in Laodicea. A banking industry there. And they had a Christian church there. It was a thriving church. Most of their services were full. I think they had two services on Sunday. Lots of ministry going on. People seemed to love one another. They, they liked one another. It was a friendly place. It was, it, it was growing. Oh my goodness, that's us. That's just like us. Clean, new, fresh town, strong economy, great schools, great homes, industry, Christian church, people care for one another. Jesus begins his letter to Laodicea by trying to help us understand first about him. I want to read this letter that he writes to Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in the 14th verse, and I'm going to read through the 20th verse, Revelation 3, 14 through 20. To the angel of the Lord in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, Jesus is describing himself there. He says to Laodicea, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable. Poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may close yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And, and he goes on, buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Turn, go the other way. I want you to be hot, he's saying. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He accuses this church of being lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. Have you ever thought about exactly what that might mean and what that might look like? What is being lukewarm? It's neither hot nor cold. It's that, it's that place where we put Jesus on a scale. You see, being lukewarm is kind of like, and we've talked about this before, it's kind of like having a foot in the kingdom of God and a, and a foot in the world. And that's where we find ourselves to be comfortable the things of the kingdom are important to us, but so are the things of the world. And, and there's this kind of scale thing that happens. And we begin to, or we're really, we're forced to, to decide what's more important to us and what, 
weighs more in our life? Is it, is it the world or is it the kingdom? What's more important to us? Is it Jesus or is it wealth? Is it Jesus or my family? Jesus or popularity? Jesus or position? On the scale that we're forced to weigh out what's in our heart, is it Jesus' way or my way that's priority and most important? His plans or my plans? His desires or my desires? Lukewarm's not, it's not caring a whole lot. There's a little bit, but it's not caring a whole lot about the purposes of God. We don't, we don't spend many sleepless nights thinking about the lost, people who don't know Jesus as Savior. There's not a lot of passion for worship. There's not a hunger, a, a desire to know Him better. There's not a hunger or a desire to grow in our relationship with Him, to grow closer to Him, to experience His presence in our life more and more and more so that it becomes more and more real to us. There's just not that hunger. The Bible's not all that important. After all, we're busy, busy people. There's just really not enough time. There's not a lot of a lot of heart or desire for ministry in the lukewarm. We, we, we like ministry. We're really glad when other people do ministry. But, but, you know, the job and the family and my handicap and it's just, there's just not, there, there's not a lot of time in the lukewarm portion for fellowship for interaction with other believers, for encouraging other believers, for walking with other believers, for being encouraged by other believers. Not a lot of time for prayer. Just not a lot of desire there. Oh, except when we have a need. Except when there's a hurt. Except when there's something we want him to fix. Now look, those are hard words, I know, I know. But it's really, really important that we understand where Jesus is coming from. You know, I think that every one of us fall into this at some point or other. Because this journey that we're on is, as, as Pastor Jim referred to earlier, it, 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 it's a battle. It's a struggle. It's the spiritual battle going on. It's going on for your heart, for your allegiance. It wants to know what your, what your conviction is. And it goes on inside of us. That's lukewarm. Hot, on the other hand, I should tell you, should never be considered as perfect. Hot is not perfect but it's passionate. It's a, it's a true conviction. It's a priority. There's this sense of awe about who God is. There's this sense of amazement. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. There's this sense of amazement that God would come and die for me. Amazing grace. It's a sense of worship. That's 
that's hot. It's, a, it's, it's the reality of Jesus' love, his involvement in your life that's, that's hot. Not perfect, but passionate. Cold? I don't, I don't think cold is something that, um, that you wonder about. You know if you're cold, right? There's... there's um, there's a sense that you know exactly where you stand in regard to this, this spiritual thing. I think maybe, I've wondered about this. Jesus says, listen, Jesus says, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. Isn't that an interesting statement? You mean, you mean you'd rather have both feet in the world instead of one in the, instead of one in the kingdom and one in the world? I think it's important to Jesus that we understand who we are. We understand what our heart is. We know where we stand. When you're cold, you know where you stand. I don't want nothing to do with that. I'm not interested in that. Jesus says, man, lukewarm. It just, there's something about that, Jesus says, if you'll allow me, that makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me want to kind of throw up. It makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. So how do we deal with being lukewarm? Do you want to deal with being lukewarm? Do you want to be hot? Is that a desire? Do you have that kind of conviction? Sometimes in, in, in dealing with being lukewarm, we, we use, I was thinking about this when we when we want something that's hot instead of cold, and we want to keep it hot, what do we do? Some of us use the thermos approach, right? Put it in the thermos, put the top on, and we keep it hot as long as we can. We know it's not going to stay hot forever. When we need some of the hotness, we take the cap off and we enjoy the hotness and we put the cap back on and just hope that it, it stays hot. I think of that as, as we get in a Bible study, you know, hoping that it, we can stay hot as long as we can or maybe church attendance or maybe a ministry once a month that we participate in because we think being hot's important, we want to stay hot, but, but that's kind of the thermos approach, keep hot as long as you can. Then I, I, I think of the microwave approach. You know, throw something in the microwave and it gets really, 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 really hot. The problem with a microwave, and I use it a lot, is that when you take it out, it gets cold really fast. So I think of the microwave approach as, as the, um, the mountaintop experience. You know, that... That, that time when you, you sense Jesus' presence, you sense his love, you sense his arms around you, it just, man, you get so high. And, and, and it's during those times you make these, these promises to him, and, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to, but it's just, it's really just this experience. And man, that, that tends to get cold really fast. And when we use that approach, our, our life tends to be this, this roller coaster ride. Sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down and sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. There's another approach. Let's call it the, the hot plate approach. That's Jesus' 
approach at staying hot. it's when what we want to keep hot is plugged into a source of heat, right? And when we stay plugged in to our source, who is Jesus, we have a tendency to be more consistent in being where he wants us to be, which is hot. In In this journey, in this struggle, in this battle, We have to understand our need. We have to understand our need. I want to read verse 17 again. Verse 17, it says, you say, I'm rich. I'm doing okay. I've prospered. I really don't need anything. The things that are in my life, I've taken care of. I don't need anything. How how many of us understand that Jesus is our source? Jesus Jesus says to us, come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me if you're hungry. Come to me if you had need. But we are, we're a society, we're a culture, we're a community who've taken care of so many of our needs. We don't need Him. How many of us pray as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give me this day our daily bread? We don't pray that. We got that taken care of. We don't depend on Him for that. It, 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 we begin to see that that we think of ourselves as self-sufficient. And we got to acknowledge our need. We have a need for Jesus. We have a need to be dependent on Him. What if we could acquire all of the riches that we so desired? Whatever that amount is for you. What if we could acquire that? What if we could possess all of the knowledge that we wanted to possess? What if we could obtain and experience every relationship that we, that we wanted to experience? What if we could achieve all that we aspire? We have riches, we have knowledge, we have relationships, we have achievement. We desire those things, we want those things. Sounds pretty good to you, doesn't it? Because we find in those things, or we, 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 we have convinced ourselves that we find in those things peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction. That's what we want, and we think these things will bring those things to us. And so we work hard to, to acquire, to possess, to obtain to achieve. What if we did? What if we were able to do all of that? Can I tell you this? You can do all of that, then you're going to die. And then what? We can do all of that, and I think that when we're convinced that that's what brings us joy and peace, we spend our lifetime doing it. We don't ever retire from seeking those things. Why? Because they never bring us peace. They never bring us joy. They never bring us satisfaction. So we got to keep at it. We got to keep at it. We got to keep at it. He says, You got to understand your need. 
When will you come to a place when you understand that even in, the, in, in, in acquisition and possession and obtaining and achieving, still, still, without Jesus, these are Jesus' words, still without Jesus, we're wretched. We're pitiable. We're poor. We're blind. We're naked. Now, This isn't going to make a bit of sense in the world to you if you're thinking in the physical realm. Jesus is speaking to us spiritually, and he's speaking to us about spiritual things. I think it's really, really important that he begins the letter the way he does. I think it's important that he says, hey, look, I am um, the amen. I... I, uh, I am worthy of your time. I am, he says, faithful and true. You can trust me. I'm the the beginning of God's creation. Jesus, we know Jesus isn't a, a created being. He's saying, I'm in charge of the creation. I'm responsible for the creation. I have authority over the creation. I have power over the creation. You know what I think he's saying to us here? He's saying, listen, you've heard me say this over and over. I just, it's, a, it's, it's truths that are so life-changing. Jesus is saying, listen, I love you. I love you perfectly. I speak to you this way because I love you. I, 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 I can't, We've, we talked about that last week, how he loves us, how he loves us. And, and he says, I'm infinite in knowledge. I know everything there is to know about you. I know the past. I know the present. I even know the future. I know what you need. I know what's best for you. That's who I am. I'm Jesus. You can trust me. All authority and power is in my hand, he's saying to us. What I, what I want for you because I love you, what I know is best for you, I have the power to bring about in your life. He's saying to us, I love you. All you need is me. Quit having a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom. I'm telling you this because I want what's best for you. Give me all that you have. Be hot. I know your works. They're neither hot nor cold. He's speaking in the spiritual realm. You don't have to be wretched. You don't have to be pitiable. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be blind. You don't have to be naked. We go to him for our needs. We have to, we have to understand our needs. He goes on and in that 17th verse, you say you're rich, you say you prosper, you say you need nothing. You, you, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says in the next verse, now, I, I counsel you, which is interesting words. I don't demand of you. I'm not going to make you, but here's my counsel to you. I'm infinite in knowledge. There's nothing I don't know. I know what's best for you. Let me counsel you. Let me make this suggestion to you. Let me give you this advice. I counsel you to buy from me, to come to me for gold that is refined by fire. I think that when we go through the fire, that what is, what, 
what is refined in us and what grows in us and what I think he's referring to when he says gold here is faith. We grow in our faith. We grow in our belief. We grow in our conviction. We grow stronger in that. Come to me and I'll, I'll grow your faith so that you may be rich. And come to me and buy from me white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Come to me because in relationship with me, there's purity. I'll give you, I'll bring that about in your life. And then he says, and, and, and come to me and purchase and I'll make available to you, I'll give to you salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, is he talking physically there? No. He wants you to see Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to understand Him. It's His counsel to us. Buy from me. Come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life, Jesus says. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. All of these things that we, we work so hard at so that we can experience what Jesus says here, I want to give you. The rest you need, the water you need, the food you need, it's found in Jesus. Come to me. I'll grow your faith. Come to me. I'll give you purity. Come to me. I'll open your eyes. I'll give you wisdom. It's the spiritual that brings what we desperately need. He goes on in verse 19. He says, those whom I love. Listen, you got to get that. The only reason I'm bringing this up, Jesus said, is because I love you. I know what's best for you and I want what's best for you. I have the provision, I have the power, I have the authority to bring about in your life. And so he says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. We got we to gotta kind of think of this, we got to understand that this relationship with God is like a father-child relationship, right? You remember Hebrews that says, whom he loves, he disciplines. It, it's, the, it's the idea that no discipline, no love. This is, this is where Jesus expresses his love for us. The idea that he involves himself in our lives. Sometimes we confuse discipline and, and punishment. We need to understand the difference there. Listen, Punishment, which is what a lot of you think Jesus wants to do, that's different from discipline. Punishment makes us run and hide. And a lot of us are experiencing that even right now. We're scared to be hot. We're scared to enter into intimacy. We're scared to, to allow him to be involved in, in our lives like he wants to because we're scared that, that, that what he sees, he's not going to lie to He's going to punish us. He's going to beat us. <laughs> but that's not what love does. But love does discipline. You, 
you can understand the difference in your experience because you can understand that when Jesus disciplines, it's a loving discipline, it's a, it's a correction, it's a guidance, it's a turning, it's a, it's, a, it's a putting you where it's a moving your life from where it is to where he wants it to be, from where it is to where he, where we need it to be, from where it is to what he knows is best for us. That's how he disciplines us in our lives. And we can understand it when we experience it because when we experience it, we can sense the love in it. I can tell you the difference in my own personal experience. I, I remember when my dad punished me. And there's a distinct difference in when he punished me and when he disciplined me. My mom and dad had a, an interesting um, kind of teamwork. Dad was the disciplinarian. He whipped me. Now, today he might get in trouble for that. But back then it was, seemed to be okay. And, 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 and he whipped me good. And oftentimes I would cry. And when he finished whipping me, he would leave the room. And it wasn't long after that that my mom would come into the room. She'd sit down next to me, and she'd put her arms around me, and she'd say, your dad loves you so much. And that's the only reason he did that. He wants to, he wants to correct that. He wants you to change. He wants you to go in a different. There was, there was no question in my mind that that was discipline, that that was, that that was love. And we have to read this letter from that perspective that Jesus loves us. We see it again in verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking about the door of your heart. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And I'll, I'll be with you. I'll, I'll eat with you. I'll fellowship with you. I'll commune with you. I'll, I'll interact with you. Do you see the love there? Do you see Jesus? I mean, picture it in your mind if you can. Picture him standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking, and he's knocking patiently. That word, I stand at the door, he says, I stand at the door, is a word that means I have taken my stand. It's a word that means I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving I'm always going to be here. I love you that much. He, he, he offers this, this invitation to us, this knock at the door, and he's very, very patient about it, and he's loving about it because he desires a relationship with us that is real. He desires intimacy with us, interaction and involvement. He wants to come in. He wants to put his arm around you. He wants to guide you and direct you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to love you. He wants to use you. He wants to grow in the relationship. He understands that without that interaction, without that intimacy, without that time together, that you become lukewarm, that there's no growth, there's no change. And he says that so lovingly. And then it blows me away how vulnerable he makes himself. He stands at the door and knocks. 
It's an amazing thought. What if we don't answer? He just stands there and knocks. He's patient. He could knock the door down. All power and authority is in his hand. He could yell out, come out. Doesn't do that. He could knock louder, but he just waits patiently for you to open the door. Let him in. And this passage of Scripture makes it so very, very clear, doesn't it? If you open the door, I will come in. And I will eat with you, and I will be with you. That sounds like a promise to me. I think this, this, um, this dilemma of hot, cold, lukewarm, I think this dilemma of lukewarm comes down to whether or not we've come to a place in our lives where we actually realize, you know what I need? I need Jesus. That's what I need. And Jesus says, I'm here. And I'm knocking. And if you will open the door, I will come in. Look, I hesitate to say this because I'm a preacher and I'm supposed to say it. But I'll say it anyway. This life with Jesus, this intimacy with Jesus, this real relationship with Jesus, that's really living. That is really living. It's not measured by what I have or what I know. It's measured by my experience. He satisfies. When there's a right relationship, with Jesus when there's, when there's intimacy, when interaction and dependence and trust and obedience. There's this, there's this natural outpouring of devotion to him. Devotion. That's a great word. It's a lot like conviction, but it's different. I, I love over here in, in, in Acts, the second chapter, the 42nd verse, it's talking about the church. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship with other believers. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done. All who believed were together. And it says, the Lord added to their number day by day. That was the church. They were hot. And there was this natural outpouring of devotion. This church, they were, they were devoted to just four things. That's all. Just four things. There was teaching. There was learning. There was being in the Word. There was growing. There was their relationships with other believers, fellowship. There was prayer. They were devoted to it. What does devoted mean? They were devoted to it and to communion. It was important to them 
to remind themselves. It was a memorial, just like what we experienced this morning. It's a memorial. Remind yourself. Remind yourself that he died for us. Be amazed by that. I, I stand amazed. I stand amazed. Those four things. We're going to study that in June. That's what we're going to study. Devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? And is it a discipline or is it an outpouring of being hot? of intimacy, of relationship with Jesus. I believe it'll help change us, transform us, the truths that we find from that first century church who devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I want to ask you something. What do you think about this? This is a pretty straightforward letter. Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, I see, I'm watching, and it makes me a little upset in my stomach that you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Is that confusing to you at all? You have questions about that? You're not sure about that? You want more information about that? Is there something about our service that you would like to share with me personally? I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to... Ask Peter to put this phone number on the screen, 407-901-7941. You can text that number. And you can, look, I want you to be honest. Say, that is just totally confusing to me. I don't understand it at all. Or maybe you have a question about exactly what that might look like in your life. Text and let us know. It's just a way for you to communicate to us. I'm going to ask our team if they would come back to the platform and I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask Arthur if he would to remember that song we sang earlier, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I want to sing the whole thing all over again. What an incredible, incredible message that is in and of itself. And it's an incredible way to worship. I wonder where you're at this morning. Jesus stood face to face. What would he say? Hot? Cold? Lukewarm? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he's infinite in knowledge and knows everything about you and part of what he knows is what's best for you? Do you believe that about him? Do you believe he has the power and authority to bring that about in your life? Will you trust him? Will you give yourself to him wholly? I want to invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. Then I want to ask Arthur, if he would, to lead us in worship. Jesus, my prayer could be this song. I stand amazed in the presence of you. That you would love me to the point that you would die for me. You would shed your blood. You would be humiliated. You would pay for my sin. You would give me your righteousness. I'm amazed about that. Why in the world, Lord, I would ever want to keep a foot in the world and a foot in your kingdom is beyond me. But I confess that I do do that in my life. But I want to plug into the hot plate. I want to plug into the source. I want to plug into you, Jesus. 
I want my life to consistently be a conviction that you are my Lord and Savior. I would die for that. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to move among your people this morning. I ask that you might help us to see that this isn't condemnation from Jesus. It's an invitation from Jesus. An invitation for intimacy, for relationship. So do a work in your people, Lord. And we'll praise you and give you the glory. We pray in your name. Amen.